Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Ask the Maestro. What was the first piece of music you ever bought, Stevie? I didn't buy it. My father bought it, but I wanted it. He gave me a choice, and it was, I think, Albert Ferber, pianist, playing the Moonlight Sonata. How beautiful. And mine was Dino Lupati playing an extended play version of some of Chopin's Etudes. And the first thing I, when I bought, I think, when I was 16, was an LP of Janet Baker singing Scheherazade by Ravel, conducted by John Barbarolli. Oh, well, that, I was talking about classical music too. So all this is quick fire. I mean, the very, very first one I bought was Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets. We've got a lovely question from Annie Sandham. She signs off saying, thank you for sparking an interest I never knew I had. Well, that's the best news we have. That's what these podcasts are for as much as anything. She says, it's a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Complete ignoramus about classical music, she says. I want to know, would the best orchestras in the world manage quite well without a conductor? And also, what about conductors' hugely differing styles? Well, we've talked about this slightly, but waving around manically or hardly moving at all. And we've seen this. We've seen people nodding and dashing and leaning forward and other people just doing a small, small movement. That must take quite a bit of getting used to, I imagine, for the orchestra she's talking about. And how do they adapt so quickly? How do musicians read conductors? And can the very, very best orchestras manage without a conductor? Thanks, Annie. I think Andre Previn talked about this on one of his LSO TV shows, and he demonstrated with the LSO, technically, an orchestra can just about get by without someone, without a conductor. But that depends on the complexity of the music. For example, if you think about St. John Passion, the opening of St. John Passion, that music moves at a steady pace. So we imagine that Bach might have led the premier performance of that from a keyboard. So technically he wasn't conducting and conductors weren't really happening then either. You did everything and the musicians basically, once a tempo started, they could manage without someone standing up and waving manically or not. (laughs) So it's when the music gets much more difficult. It slows down a lot, speeds up a lot. And when the forces become so big that people sometimes 20, 30 yards away with a big, with a big choral society, when they can't hear mm. what the other musicians are doing. And that's the important thing. You've got to be able to hear what the other musicians are doing. So as things get bigger and more complicated, a conductor is actually important. The second part of your question, conducting styles, of course they're different because There are basics, and someone who may appear to be waving around manically probably isn't doing that. They are simply enlarging upon very basic moves and indications that conductors should really have. The big difference is between conductors who have a clear beat and those that don't have a clear beat. Mm -hmm. Can you do you want to do you longing to give me a demonstration of this? I mean, somebody who you'd like to say doesn't have a clear. Point. Yes, yes. If you watch recorded material of Furtwängler, he really did not conduct like an automaton. He he conducted in a much more fluid way, 
And the orchestra had to fundamentally find out where he wanted the sound. And once they'd found that, the way he was conducting made sense. But they had to do a lot of work in bringing their ensemble together, a lot of listening. Now, he was one of the very greatest of the greatest conductors. What he achieved musically was overwhelming, mm. and everybody agrees about that. On the other hand, I could cite my all-time hero, and Bernard Heiting, who always had a very clear beat. When you needed to see clarity, he was there providing complete clarity. So there are different styles, and as I said, once people had found out where Foot Wengler really wanted the sound, that's your point about how do they adapt. Of course, they would give that to him for the next conductor. They would work out what he wanted exactly. There are legion stories of conductors actually talking to the orchestra and saying, no, 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 I want this sound here, as he drew down his stick. Mm. And some would want it at the bottom of the beat, and others would want it as the hand begins to come up. So this is quite a complicated, serious, technical thing that a young conductor really doesn't learn until they are in front of a professional orchestra. Because orchestras sometimes like to play in a particular place according to the beat. And the simple beat is just up and down in one movement and in time. And some orchestras will play at a certain point in that beat and you have to, a conductor has to adjust to that. You only learn that through experience. Is it very difficult, for instance, Daniel Barenboim, a great hero of mine, who I've seen conducting from the piano when he's playing a piano concerto, but he's got a full orchestra around him. And because he's playing, he will sometimes just nod his head to bring things in. But he obviously can't use his hands to, to show or indicate anything or to, to show which particular instrumentalist he wants to be heard at that point. How, do, do you think he rehearses not from the piano and then plays from the piano in performance? No, no. How does it work? Predominantly, that would have been Beethoven concertos or Mozart concertos. And a lot of people have directed performances from the keyboard in that way. And don't forget, the piano is placed right in the middle of the, the front of the orchestra. So every musician is in touch and can see the leader and Baron Boehm or whoever's directing. They can see. You don't bring people in. They know when to come in. You're simply showing energy or excitement or whatever, or asking for a little time. And you can do that with your body as you are the. But um, when you're conducting you operas, I've seen you bring in music singers. You point to them. It's or with, different. Why? It's simply because singers don't have the music in front of them. Mm. And they're also acting. And sometimes it's quite complicated if they've not sung for, in some complicated operas, just a little assurance of, yes. of where they're supposed to be coming in yes. is valuable. And if someone goes wrong, then you have to have all those symbols that, that stop someone if they're in the wrong place and then start again, start them again at a later point. <laughs> Thank you so much about that lovely question, Annie. Stephen conducts beautifully, clearly. Musicians like Stevie because he's very clear, very good, but he's also very clear. 
If you hadn't started composing and acting, what would you have done instead? If you hadn't been a musician and if I hadn't been an actress, what would we have done instead, Stephen? Oh, I don't know. As a boy, um, because my family's, so many of them worked for the railways, I, um, and I was introduced to the driver of the Flying Scotsman in Woolworths in Seven Kings when I was about seven. The railways, and of course I was a train driver. Then later on I wanted to be a rally driver. Then I also wanted to be a cricket player. Dear, oh dear me. And now I want to be a, a winemaker. <laughs> and if I hadn't been an actress, I first of all thought I'd like to be prime minister. I thought I could slip in a bit of brain surgery. Then I discovered that by acting, I could do all these things. And actually, I would like to have been an English teacher. You would have been a very good brain surgeon. Thank you. Mary Mottram wrote in, Mary, thank you so much for writing. Dear Joanna and the Maestro, I've been listening to your delightful podcasts while I've been sewing. Isn't that sweet? In the episode on Richard Strauss, the maestro mentioned he has a 78 RPM recording of Strauss conducting, which prompts me to ask, does every conductor have a signature, i.e. if the maestro is listening blind, as it were, to an orchestral recording, could he tell who is conducting just by listening? Well, I know that because quite often when we are listening to music, you bow your head in a certain way and you say, this is Barenboim, or you'll suddenly say, this is Davis. You do know, don't you? Yes, you can get quite close. How is it? Because these are gestures which are not seen. Is it the way that he wants the music to sound that you yes, recognise? of course. It's interesting you mentioned those 78s I have of Strauss conducting, and I've got lots of Toscanini conducting too. But you, you mustn't forget that in the age of 78s, they had to fit a certain amount of music on each side. And if you remember from 78, you were turning them over, so there'd be a, a unit at, at a rapid a rapid pace. You had to be next to the record player to flip the discs. And that really means that they were more restricted with their interpretations to a certain degree. But with modern recording, a lot of a conductor's art and character comes out very clearly because you can hear so much more in terms of instrumentation. And what we do a lot in rehearsals is to balance an orchestra. So it's a question of, in the opening of Strauss's Don Juan, that enormous orchestral tutti, you have to be aware not to let the brass dominate too much because, of course, they can play extremely loud. And you, that's just one example. In every orchestral texture, the composer has orchestrated it in a certain way. So he it, it might have horns and clarinets, but not oboes. Just a very simple example. And you may want to hear a little more of a solo instrument to bring it out. And you may want to ask the strings and to play a little softer. So there are all these little touches the second thing is that, of course, no conductor conducts a piece at exactly the same speed as any mm. other conductor. Otto Klemperer was quite famous for slower tempi, famous recording of his Matthew Passion, which is done with large forces. And it is very stately. That's a polite way of saying slow. But it's not in any way, for me, a poorer performance because it's slow, but you can identify certain conductors. Some conductors are whiz kids and will always choose the quicker side of tempo, the speed the music goes. 
Sometimes I've heard them when they're so fast that the notes just blither together. It becomes a cacophony, and all the beauty of the music seems just blah, 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 it's too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined. I hate that. I'm inclined to agree, but Toscanini was famously fast too. So yeah. this is not a modern phenomenon. So yes, there are signatures to do with speed and to do with the way that the orchestra will sound, and to do with the way that you might slow down more somewhere and make more of a point of, of markings. Some conductors are very balanced. They don't like too much give and take. You can listen to some recordings of Mengelberg playing Schumann, where it, it doesn't keep the same tempo from one bar to the next. It's constantly shifting. Mm. And these things do come through. It's the same as identifying orchestras, really, too. There's a colour Carrie-Anne's Berlin Phil, for example, you couldn't miss identifying that. Some things, I guess, like anything which has a marching sound to it, we know what a march is. You've got a slow march or a quick march, but largely marching is from, 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 which is how you have soldiers marching. A dance, a waltz would have a particular, or a polka would have its own intrinsic, what the human body can do. So a waltz if played too slowly, is unbearable because you think of the dancer who cannot... One, two, three, two, two... It's too slow. So some things have their own intrinsic timing to them, you, I think. You've told me. I have. I, I, I conducted the Blue Danube. What, was it too slow for you or too much rubato? It was just wrong. <laughs> Get off the fence, why don't you? <laughs> It just didn't seem that you could dance to it, and you've got to because it's because it's a waltz. I think you were taking it too slowly. I think you were enjoying it too much. Ah, no, loving it too much. Loving it too much, yeah, yes. Yeah, loving not, it too not much. Not taking care of it. No. And one of the last things you're, you're supposed to say to an actor before they go on stage is, don't try too hard. That's not quite the same as music, but there is something like that, isn't there? Ah, well, I, I enjoyed doing it, and so did the orchestra, and so did the audience. But there were two dancers on that occasion, and they were dancing behind me, so I didn't have a clue. You didn't care about them. <sighs> you can be tough. Mary, thank you so much, and back to your sewing. Gosh, I sewed so badly at school, it took me a whole term to make an apron. <laughs> 